Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and more. Go ahead and check out the description of this episode so you can find the link to our link tree, get access to all of our socials, as well as our YouTube channel so you can watch all of our episodes in full. Okay, welcome. Uh, Thursday, December 14th. Good show. Kellen Flynn from uh, WCBN Radio in Michigan going to come on, talk to us about the Wolverines. We've been p- partnering with them all week long that you've been seeing on our socials. Good conversation with him. Uh, uh, hardball, get into him. The season they've had, the whole you know the, their whole season, and especially their game coming up in the end of the year here in the college football playoffs. A lot to get into with him. Awesome interview. Uh, let's uh, start off, guys. Monday Night Football. I'm going to start off with the Titans and Dolphins, and then we'll get into the Packers and Giants. Titans, Dolphins, I never seen more of a thrown away game by the Dolphins, and I want to get your guys' first overall thoughts. That's my only real take, my, my real takeaway. Uh, will Levis did a really good job calming himself down at the end of the game, despite being down 14 with only about like, I think it was like five minutes, 530 left, maybe something like Three minutes to go, they were down by 14. Jeez, yeah. I've never seen this big of a uh, just absolute collapse by the Dolphins team, and especially considering a team that usually is really good on offense, they just could not get anything going. Uh, you know, this whole game, and then especially to break down at the very end like that. What are your, you know, Zach? I'll start with you. What is your just this team and how they how they broke down at the end there? Well, it's historically unprecedented. No team in NFL history had ever led by 14 or more points with three minutes to go or less and lost the game in regulation. But that's what happened because the Titans went for two after their first touchdown. Yeah, this was a game that the Titans were about to give away because they fumbled a punt. Derrick Henry had a fumble. And the Dolphins really didn't move the ball consistently throughout the game. They scored 27 points because they had a pick six and then off those two other turnovers. So the Dolphins' offense without Tyreek Hill for much of the game really never got anything going. And – you know, you're up by 14 with three minutes to go. That's a game you got to win. You got to finish that off. And this is why I just have not trusted the Dolphins all year. It's because they haven't stepped up against bigger opponents, but they also get in their own way. And credit the Titans for coming back and figuring out a way to win. But, I mean, in a situation where the previous 767 times a team was in this position, they won. Kind of a problem for the Dolphins going forward. Yeah, I mean, the Dolphins almost getting the number one seed. I mean, this could be this could hurt their chances of getting the one seed in the AFC, especially with the conference being pretty wide open. The Ravens, I mean, pretty much the favorite right now in the AFC with the Chiefs kind of struggling. And I, I think this is a very tough, tough loss for uh, for the Dolphins. Yeah, defense was, I mean, both sides. Offense was bad. Titans defense did a really good job keeping the uh, offense for Miami uh, locked down, all things considered. Unit held Miami to four out of 13 on third down and two of five in the red zone as well. Um, And then the Dolphins defense just was pretty bad, all things considered, too. And they just weren't able to really lock down the Titans all game. Good for the Titans, though. I mean, it's their first away game or away win of the year. Uh, so Titans mm-hmm. finally do get a win outside of Nissan Stadium. But talk, I mean, Dolphins weren't able to put pressure on Will Levis all game. It sounds, it just seemed like he could hang out in the pocket the entire game. He felt so comfortable. They had a really hard time putting any pressure on him. 21 of the Dolphins' points came off turnovers. And that just, again, like I said, there might... Uh, the box score and the actual final score makes it seem a lot better for Miami, especially on the offensive, offensive side of the ball, because like I said, most of their points actually did not come on offense. It came on uh, turnovers and uh, you know special teams and defensive defensive plays. So, But overall, a lot of big plays uh, allowed by Will Levis, and uh, especially at the end of the game, couldn't really stop him on those uh, two-minute drills that he executed flawlessly. What are your thoughts on just Will Levis real fast before going on the Packers Giants? I mean, he's I mean he, he has the job next year locked in for the Titans, I would say. I mean I think he has no to, doubt yeah. about it. He's he's shown some flashes. Now he needs to be a little more consistent, but so far, so good for him. Yeah. Uh three hundred and twenty seven total yards for twenty three of thirty eight passing on Monday night. He was seven for nine for eighty yards on the Titans first drive that included a twenty three yard strike to Westbrook Ikeen. So yeah, I mean, this is just an awesome. I mean, he came out hot and then he just continued playing great all season or all game long. And 
I'm excited to see how he can keep it up because he's been playing really well so far. And he's has a lot of poise too, a lot of poise for a rookie. And despite some pretty, uh, for, you know, bad turnovers he's had this game, he was able to keep his cool and really come back and help the Titans get their first away win of the season. Packers giants, um, giants guys, defense might be one of the most underlooked defenses in the league. Unfortunately, it's coming a little bit too late for the giants. Uh, they're not, you know, they're out of playoff contention at this point. They may not be. They're only a game out of the wild card. They have life. Wow. They do have life. Yeah. The legend of Tommy DeVito continues to grow. But here are these, um, here are these defensive stats. I mean, um, over the past three weeks, they have 12 takeaways. That's the most out of any team in the league that period. And then after week four, uh, so I guess since week five and on, they've had 22 takeaways, uh, you know, becoming just a force on just turning the ball over both their defensive lines. Good. Their secondary, the secondary is good. You know, outside linebacker cave on Theodore. He has 11.5 sacks in the game. Uh, Aziz Ujare, like Ujari. Uh, yeah. I can't botch his name there a little bit, but he's playing, he's playing really good too. Um, and then, you know, Dante Banks and on the secondary and Jason Pinnock, they, they've been really playing good for the giants. And I, like you said, Zach, I think it's, going to be hard DeVito needs to keep playing very well and he keeps you know he has to execute pretty flawlessly but their defense definitely has potential to keep them in the game I mean they basically held Jordan Love down all seat or all game and were able to you know get the get the win in uh in New York yeah Tommy DeVito was spectacular I mean almost 70 yards rushing uh over 200 yards of total offense kept the Giants afloat he's been very good these last couple weeks the Giant defense has kept them in the game Saquon Barkley shows why he's one of the best running backs in football. That's a tough loss for the Packers because we've seen in the last couple of games uh, win on Thanksgiving against the Lions, come back on Sunday night and beat the Chiefs. This is one that you kind of let get away when you were in position to perhaps close in a little bit with the Lions losing on Sunday in the NFC North race. And now uh, you're right just in a gaggle of teams as far as the wild card is concerned. There was a real chance to kind of get some separation. The Packers let it get away, but the Giants still alive somehow. Yeah, and... Jordan Love, of course, losing this game. Packers might be in some trouble in the playoff picture. I know it's kind of a similar similar situation with uh, the Giants, but they needed this momentum. They were on a really good momentum swing going into this game, and then to lose to a bad Giants thing, a, a bad Giants team, all things considered, is a big blow for their confidence, if nothing else. So Giants, of course, now five and eight, and then the Packers at six and seven. So Packers better uh, playoff position than the Giants, obviously by one game, but. Uh, if Giants defense, like I said, they can continue to play like they did last night. They're they're gonna have a you know they 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 have a chance to make it to the playoffs. Red zone, my only other point to this game, uh, red zone inefficiencies were a big problem for the Packers. The Giants went three and three inside the twenty yard line, while the Packers only went for only you know uh, two out of five times uh, they they scored within the red within the red zone. So yeah, um, Giants able to get it done and. Big, big momentum swing going in the next week for them. Um, let's touch base on Ty- Tyreek Hill a little bit. I know we just kind of flip-flopped a little bit going back and forth between the you know Dolphins and whatnot, but he's going to be out. Timetable, still not really sure on when he will be coming back. Uh, he, you know, he suffered that leg injury in the uh, first quarter like, um, you know, against the Titans, but he didn't end up coming back. But I think as of right now, he is still – labeled as questionable and doubtful to come back for next game. My biggest takeaway from this injury, though, if he doesn't play, obviously it's going to, you know, he's not going to be able to break his NFL record that he wants to get, you know, over that 2000 yards. And that MVP case is going to be hindered as obviously if he doesn't play the rest of the season, that MVP uh, case that he's been making all season long will also be in the, in the flame. So I want to get your guys kind of thoughts on him being out and, especially with this Dolphins team that, like I said, looked anemic on offense uh, on Monday night. And if they don't have him, you know, where does this team really go? Because he was he, he was most of their offense. And if he's gone, it's going to be really tough for them to get much done. Well, they got to win out to get the number one seed in the AFC in, in that division, obviously. Buffalo is still very much alive. And for the Dolphins, losing Tyreek Hill, that's going to be a big loss for for the Dolphins and for him as well with the uh, 2,000 yards record and, and possibly winning the MVP. Now they got the Jets coming in this week. The Jets had a blowout win against the Texans, but 
do they have the same thing against Miami? They have a good defense, and now Tyreek Hill is out after they kind of look scattered on offense on Monday yeah. night. That's that's uh, remains to be seen with yeah. this Dolphins team, but they got to win out really to get the number one seed. Other injury news: Herbert season-ending injury uh, did get surgery yeah. on that right index finger. I don't really have much to say about this. He uh, his Ironman streak is coming to an end. He was the second. He had the second largest, uh, longest active streak by any quarterback to not miss a start. Uh, it was sixty-two games, I think, is what he was at before he and you know ended up being out. For for the rest of the season. So five and eight chargers now lost four of the last five games, um, two wins behind in the AFC wild card race remaining games. They have a gauntlet coming up Raiders, Bills, Broncos, and Kansas city. They're going to, if they can, Dunzo. yeah, they're done. And um, Brandon Staley, he's all but done as well. Underperformed big time this whole year, even before Justin Herbert went out, of course, collapsed against Jacksonville, yep. you know, last postseason. The big, uh, you know, the debacle with the Raiders the season prior as well, and yes, Staley has just been borrowing time the whole this the rest of the season. And it, but it, when the clock strikes zero at the end of the season, he will be gone, unfortunately. Or well, that's correct. Well, fortunately yeah. for the Chargers fans, I'm sure they would they would love to see that. Only a little right. piece of in, uh, NFL news: uh, Al Michaels. I know this is kind of weird. Uh, Al Michaels apparently will not be on the NBC broadcast in the playoffs this year. Uh, NBC is parting ways with him. They want to get uh, someone else, uh, a younger person, to call the games with Iron Eagle. So what do you guys think about this? I mean, is this the end of an era? I mean, he's been one of the most legendary broadcasters of all time in, in NBC and especially football in general. So kind of sad to see. Just want to touch base on it real fast and just get your thoughts on it and where he kind of goes from here. Of course, he'll still be with prime and doing his thing with Kirk Herbstreit, but uh, it's going to be sad to not see him in the playoffs anymore, calling games on NBC. Yeah, there's no doubt it's the end of an era. Al Michaels to me is the greatest play-by-play man in the history of the NFL. And I mean, he's been a part of so many big moments. You talk about the Malcolm Butler interception, uh, the James Harrison pick six, the San Antonio Holmes catch, Kevin Dyson being one yard short, you can go on and on. And I mean, he, his voice symbolizes football as much as anybody. I mean, if you played the old Madden games growing up, it was always Al and John. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this is kind of the end of an era. I can't say that it's not time because his quality's kind of slipped the last couple of years. If he was still doing playoff games, that would be fine with me. But, yeah, it's the end of an era. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's uh, the, it just shows you, um, you know, basically what, you know, the, um, the ceiling that they have and the expectations that they have and how how hard it is and how much they expect from you. And, you know, just if you just, you know, slop off even for a season like he did, maybe you know, this was not his best season, of course, calling games. I know he's gotten some you know flack on some of the Thursday night games that he's called for being a little less energy, but it just shows you really can't, you know, take a step back for even a, a year or else it, you know, might have ramifications later, which we see now won't be pumped. Won't be calling a game, Al Michaels, for uh, in the playoffs for NBC anymore. Um, that's all. I mean, that's all I really have. I don't know what else. I mean, John Morant's in court. I don't know what else we really can, can talk about at this point. Nothing else. Kind of slow, all things considered. Um, mm-hmm. John Morant, of course, testified in court Monday. Uh, you know, when he got into the fight with that teenager, Joshua Holloway, uh, basically just claiming self-defense and. Uh, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's going to come of this. I think he's just trying to get back to the, you know, playing as fast as he possibly can. I know he's supposed to meet with Adam Silver sometime this week. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think that's no one really believes it was self-defense. And he's just trying to protect his money at this point and get back because, yeah, he's, you know, being out now, he's losing a lot of money in the men- the Grizzlies are playing terribly right now. I mean, they've been playing terribly all year you know, fourth of the year into it. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens. But, um, right. oh, I guess we can get Draymond Green. Yeah, we, we can talk about that a little bit. Um, Draymond Green, I forgot about that. He got ejected last night. Well, on uh, Tuesday night, he got ejected. Uh, three um, three times now it's happened. And I want to get, get your thoughts on this. Do you think there's any chance the NBA might actually suspend him the rest of the year? I know there's been some talks about that. Not the rest of the year, yeah. no. Yeah, For no. an extended period of time, yes. Yeah. Three times this year, though, like I said, he got ejected, and I don't know. It's going to hurt the team. I know the Warriors have been having uh, problems all year long, but it's uh, not a good look for him, and especially someone that's been having some issues over the past years as well. 
Complaint of the week, Zach, we're going to start with you. What is your complaint of the week? Yeah, my complaint of the week is going to be the Lakers hanging in a banner for the in-season tournament. Come on, guys. Don't you have a little more self-respect than that? You've won a billion NBA championships. You have more retired jerseys than just about anybody in basketball. And we're going to talk about an in-season tournament, and that's worthy of hanging a banner. That's even sadder than my Colts hanging a 2014 AFC finalist banner when they got their doors blown off by the Patriots that started the whole deflate game thing. The Lakers hanging an in-season banner. Jerry West has just got to be disgusted about this. Kobe Bryant's disgusted about this. I don't think LeBron or Anthony Davis want to do this. I don't think this is their decision. I think it was made by upper management, maybe even the NBA itself. But we, we can do better. The, the Lakers are a franchise that is way too proud to fall for a stunt like this. Well, it's like you said, they already, they already have so many. Why? I mean, if it's like one franchise that doesn't have any like any wins, any victories. and Yeah, that, if the Pacers had won it, then I get it. Yeah. But, but you're the Lakers. Act like I it. guess it's kind of cool being the first one, but still. I mean, it's a question, uh, interesting question for you, Zach. Do you think they're going to set the precedent for every other team going forward in the in-season tournament. Do you think they're... They probably every are. Every other team yeah. now will probably hang a banner because the Lakers did it the first time. But the Lakers didn't do yeah. it the first time. No one would hang a banner, banner going forward. So they, yeah, That's they right. set a precedent going forward. So, yeah. Hey, banner-making companies are happy, I guess. My uh, my complaintive, uh, Washington Wizards and the Capitals are probably leaving. I think they actually are leaving. It's it's finalized now that they are leaving Capital One Arena and they will be moving to a new arena in a new space in uh, Virginia. This is sad. I mean, I've been to I've lived in D.C. for a year. I've been to the Capital One Arena. It's awesome arena, literally right in the heart of D.C. Um, you know, only like maybe like half a mile away from the white house it's pretty cool all things i mean really cool area around it a lot of nice restaurants a lot of you know nice bars around the area awesome place capitals i mean they're called the capitals because they're in the capital <laughs> and so that's not really going to make sense anymore and then obviously the wizards being there uh, historic franchise as well that they've always played there their whole time so it's gonna be a little bit different uh i know the people of washington dc aren't happy about it especially being such a an easy city to navigate and uh you know kind of voyage around i mean it's you can it's all walkable you can get places in so many different ways and now all the fans that used to go to these games are not gonna be able to really do that because it's gonna be all the way in virginia just like um you know kind of you know out of the capital just like the commanders are now so sad to see but hey i guess it's money wins all at the end of the day now do you think that stadium could be like if they leave capital one arena which they're probably going to do could that be the site of the new Commander Stadium? No, uh, that's a lot of space. I mean, it's oh, yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's small. It's um no, it's it would be you'd wait. You need way way too much more space. You need way more space than that. Yeah, I, I don't think they would. There's parking lots there. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No, they the would tailgating. Need, yeah, they need a lot. Of, I mean, the Commander Stadium being outside the city that makes sense. Uh, even when it was at um, what's it called? Uh, rfk rfk stadium. rfk thank yeah. You, yeah that didn't even make sense because even that area around there doesn't have a whole lot of parking it, it would just be way too much space and like i said it's those absolutely there's no more real estate left around that stadium and they would have to like take out businesses and apartment complexes it would be it would be a mess justin what, what is your complaint of the week my complaint of, of the week is kind of the Super Bowl locations. They're going to put it in Los Angeles again. The Super Bowl was just in L.A. two years ago in 2022 when the Rams won at home. Well, basically, technically a home Super Bowl on their home field against the Bengals, just like the Bucks the year before against the Chiefs, obviously in the COVID year. But uh, the Super Bowl back in L.A. again, I think it's a little bit telling, but the one thing I would complain about is why are they putting it in, in uh, L.A.? I know it's a dome stadium, but there's other dome stadiums in the NFL that have hosted the Super Bowl before, but putting it at, in L.A. that time before, I think that uh, I think they should put it in another dome stadium or maybe even another outdoor stadium as well. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, do you think it'll ever be outdoors again? I don't think it could. It, I don't think it will be. I think be. it could. Maybe but in you, New York, who knows? Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think the game will ever be in an outdoor stadium again. The Super Bowl, I think Miami's outdoors. Yeah, Miami. Well, that's Tampa. outdoor, I guess. Yeah, but even then, even Miami, you still subject yourself to like the chance of like rain and bad weather. I just I don't know. They don't want to. Yeah, I guess. But 
Yeah, Miami. It will be in Miami. It's coming up in Miami, right? I think soon, or is that? Uh, it's not a part of the rotation. Oh yeah, San Francisco is outdoors. Yeah, it's gonna be at Super Bowl sixty. It's gonna be in San Fran or Santa Clara. Yeah, it's nicer. That's an outdoor stadium. It's nicer at least. Yep. But yeah, I guess you still do kind of open yourself up to risk of like uh, rain and you know just bad weather. But yeah, well, whatever. All right, moving on. Kellen Flynn uh, breaking down Michigan so far. He's a uh, exec- executive director of WCBN Radio uh, in in Michigan. Like um, they cover all things Wolverines, and of course, you can imagine, especially football. Break the whole season down with him. Drama with Hardball, legacy for him and the team going into the playoffs this year. Awesome interview with him. We break down everything, and uh, let's head over to Michigan and talk to Kellen. Okay, we are on Michigan's campus uh, with WCBN Radio, Sports Radio, this week. I got Kalen here. Uh, Kalen Flynn, I think it is, right, Kalen? Kalen, yeah. Kalen, sorry about that. Well, Kalen, uh, this has been awesome. Uh, We've been having a fun time with you guys this week. Just tell me a little bit about what you guys do uh, on campus and what you try to portray to the students uh, on campus. Yeah, so WCBN Sports is the official student voice of Michigan Athletics. And so what we do is we have kind of two different streams of content. We have our uh, on-air game broadcasts. We travel across the country with a bunch of the different teams. I mean, we've done road trips for football, obviously. We do every football game, but we try to do as many men's and women's basketball games as possible, as many hockey games as possible. Uh, we have a really nice softball following, and so we're all over the place. We cover um, pretty much everything that makes good radio, and then we have our our talk show four days a week on the FM airwaves. Yeah, I, I was on it. I don't know when. Uh, I know I was on it on either Monday or Tuesday. I'm not sure when it when it's going to get released, but yeah, you guys. I talked with Dan, and uh, I, t- I talked with um, Dan and Will, and you know we had a really good conversation. Michigan coming up against Alabama obviously a juggernaut or a match coming up probably the best offense uh Alabama has seen all year and then maybe the best de- or probably the best offense Michigan has seen all year excuse me and then probably the best uh defense Alabama has seen all year what are you kind of thinking about this game coming up in about three weeks here Kellen yeah I haven't really dove deep into my Alabama prep yet but um just kind of on a surface level maybe a, a thousand foot perspective I think this game's so interesting because I think this is, and we talked about it Monday at our our show. Um, I, I think this game is gonna be the last test for Michigan and schools like Michigan across the country, in the sense of there's about three or four schools that recruit at a hyper elite level year in year out, and it's Ohio State. Alabama and Georgia and sometimes LSU's up there sometimes Clemson's been up there but mm-hmm. for the most part it's those three schools and those three schools have dominated it on the national level in terms of winning national championships and whatnot and I think this is the last chance to see if one of those schools can truly some a school not that's not one of those three can win a national title and I yeah. think Michigan has the best chance to do it of any team we've seen in years and from a strictly Michigan perspective, this is the best chance the program's had at a national championship in uh, two decades, three decades mm-hmm. since the the '97 team. So, a um, lot of fun on in, in Ann Arbor right now. A lot of fun on campus, but it's going to be a good one come New Year's Day. Yeah, well, me and Will, when I when I came on your show, uh, me me Will and Dan were talking about it a little bit. How um, it's it just describe how important this win is in light of all the. Um, controversy that's been coming on with you know hardball and the team in general it's 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 it would a win would be very nice uh playoff win and then the national championship win would be amazing because there's a lot of controversy with the team right now and it would be their way of showing people like hey we didn't really cheat we we we're still a good team regardless of the scandal that's going on so we don't need signs we don't need uh any scouting to be able to beat up on teams and so how important is this win um coming up just to be able to show people that yeah obviously people everyone has their take on what went down with that whole uh deal i think it's an excellent opportunity to continue to prove that 
these players are really, really good football players. This yep. coaching staff is a really, really good coaching staff. I mean, you look at what they've put together since uh, Connor Stallions left the program. Still haven't lost. A, they still haven't lost a game, mm-hmm. and they beat Ohio State. They won the Big Ten again. Beat Penn State in Happy Valley. So they've gone on the road and beaten a top ten team. They beat their rival. They won the conference. Um, but obviously, you still have to to prove it on the biggest stage possible, and that's going to be the Rose Bowl against Alabama. So yeah. I'm excited for the opportunity for the the players and the team. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Do you think Sharon Moore will be a head coach somewhere else next year? I don't. No? I think that he very clearly has is the next in line here at the University of Michigan. And I am of the belief, and this isn't any insider knowledge or anything, mm-hmm. just my personal opinion, that Harbaugh is not going to be around for the next decade. Um, and yeah. so I think if you're Sharon Moore, barring an unbelievable top 10 job offer coming across your desk, you ride it out for the next couple of years, knowing that you've got the keys to a well-oiled top 10 job in the country um, okay. in just a few years now. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. What, um, you know, you might as well have your first coaching job, be one of an elite team and not have to struggle with, you know, an, a lesser team that, you know, doesn't have as much money or recruiting or power or, leverage or any of the resources so it's a good point yeah write it out you mentioned though uh, hardball not being around the next 10 years i think that's very uh clear to say i think that would be i would definitely agree with that but any indication he might leave even in the near future the next year or two um i don't know it's it's kind of one of those things i think there might be a couple there's definitely going to be a couple of nfl jobs that open up Mm -hmm. um Somewhere like L.A. might be intriguing for him just because you've got a quarterback in place in Justin Herbert, and it's maybe not a complete teardown. But, again, I have no insider information or anything. This is all just pure speculation. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if, if he's not here in, say, three years. I That wouldn't surprise me at all. But, again, I think elements of that are, one, he's – likely going to be without J.J. McCarthy, if not next year, then for sure two years from now. And he's going to have to break in a new quarterback, too. He knows that the program will be in good hands if he leaves. He obviously cares very deeply about the Michigan football team. And knowing that Sharon Moore has proved himself to be a more than capable head coach, beating Ohio State, beating Penn State on less than 24 hours notice, mm-hmm. um, that's not something you'd be too concerned about if you're Jim Harbaugh. So I think he kind of has the luxury to, to go year in year out and, and make that decision. Is it the best for recruiting? No, but um, clearly he's a great head coach and proven it at multiple levels. So uh, I'm just happy he's still in Ann Arbor right now. I've heard a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people were saying, you know, this too, that this scandal was maybe what's going to, you know, you know, lead him out of college coaching. Uh, it was going to be the final straw that would basically kick him out of college coaching uh, once and for all. But we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, like you said, there's going to be plentiful of head coaching jobs uh, available. There's already head coaching jobs available. The offseason hasn't even started yet. So we'll have to see what happens there. Yeah, and down there. something like a – depending on how this season goes at Michigan, if he's mm-hmm. able to win a national championship and – bring one home for his alma mater and get it done, then yeah, maybe, all right, check that box. The next, the last thing on his bucket list, so to speak, as a coach is a Super Bowl, and you got to go to the NFL to do that. And mm-hmm. I think anyone that's, if Michigan wins a national title to that complains about Harbaugh, I mean, come on, he, yeah. he just won a national title. You, yeah. You're happy about that. Yeah, like you said, he'll be in good hands if he leaves, especially with all the resources you have at Michigan. How do you guys, um, you know, we talked about Alabama already, but as a fan base, as a student body, who do you want to see more? Is it Texas or is it Washington? I, we, I talked again with Dan and Will when I went on your, went on, on your show. Um, I was thinking that you might want to see Washington more because I think you would match up more against Washington. Uh, your secondary is probably the best in the country, Michigan, I would say. And Washington, I think you would be able to shut down their passing strength, which is really where this is a lot of their bread and butter is their pass game with Michael Penix. And, you know, 
a dominant secondary would be able to shut that down. And I think they would really struggle against you guys. So what do you, do you guys kind of feel that way too? Do you want to see Washington over Texas or who, what, what, what team, if you were to advance to the uh, national championship game, which, which uh, team would you rather see more? Yeah. And obviously getting through Alabama is no, no easy task. Nick mm -hmm. Saban and what he's got going down there in Tuscaloosa's that's a, a, mountain to to climb over but if michigan were to advance to houston i think i think a lot of those points you raised are right um i think i would lean washington obviously Penix and that trio of receivers are so scary um but like you talked about i think michigan when you look at will johnson mike sane were still two of the best dbs in the country a really really good safety duo with rod moore and makari page back there yep um, and I think almost more importantly, Michigan offensively can really get physical with the defensive front of Washington mm -hmm. versus a Texas defense that is very, very stout, particularly against the run. Yep. So I think for that reason, Michigan would be more, I guess they would prefer likely to play Washington. I would rather play Washington more so because of that. The, the matchup between the Michigan offense and the Washington defense, I just feel a lot more comfortable about that. Yeah, that's a good point, too, because um, you're one of your biggest strengths, if not the biggest strength on offense for the Wolverines is their run game. And Texas would have a good chance of shutting that down. So, yeah, no, I, I would definitely want to see Washington as well. It would be a good matchup, Michigan and Washington. It would be an interesting matchup for sure. But it will when I, you know, when we talked, Will said it, that Alabama is probably your biggest opponent. If you get through Alabama, if you get through Alabama, you might have clear, clear sales uh, the rest of the way. And I don't know and, if that's how you feel. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good way to put it. I, yeah. I don't want to call the Rose Bowl the national championship because it's not. Mm -hmm. And if you win that game, you're not the national champion and the loser isn't the runner up. But yeah. I, I think most people would agree going into this that these are probably the two best teams in the country. Yep. And I don't want to get into the whole thing with the committee because I think they – completely botched that but i think the four teams that are in the playoff i think you have a pretty strong case that michigan and alabama are the two best um despite the four being next to alabama's name i don't think that fools anybody over 80 percent of the public is betting on alabama to win straight up and to cover the spread in this game so clearly people know and respect alabama but yeah, I, I think it's going to be a real fun game uh, down there in Pasadena that I'll be lucky enough to to be on the headset for. That's really cool. You get to go down to the game and cover it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, no, it's going to be a good game. Nick Saban, though, got to be careful about Nick Saban. He, uh, you know, he's he's won nine games against number one ranked opponents, and uh, only the next head coach in college football, the next, the highest is four wins. Uh, so he's a, he has double the amount of wins against uh, number one seeded opponents than uh, even the next uh, highest coach does in college football. So that's something definitely uh, to be careful of. And does that make you kind of nervous knowing that stat going into this game? I mean, obviously, you know, yeah. Saban's yep. the GOAT. He's There's been no one better at the college level than him. To do what he's done in the modern era of college football is absolutely remarkable. Uh, so plenty of respect for what's going on there. And um, we're going to be digging into to Bama soon and for our coverage and uh, hopefully have a lot of good stuff to be able to say about, about them, but it's, it's going to be fun. Obviously I'm selfishly rooting for Michigan because I want, I'm a student here. I've grown up a Michigan fan and would love to get to cover the national championship game, but um definitely and William and I were, were talking about this like win lose or draw the chance to go to a post-game presser and see Nick Saban talk is, is a pretty cool opportunity so for sure uh, it, yeah I mean Nick Saban like that's that's the goat I think it's very very important uh for Michigan fans like yourself to not get too statty with Alabama because and what I mean by that is if you look too much at the numbers it might seem like Michigan has a pretty dominant advantage over Alabama, but that's because Alabama began the year, all things considered, pretty slow by their standards. And since, uh, you know, since that bye week that Alabama had, they've been playing absolutely amazing. Mil uh, Milrow has uh, thrown for, I mean, he's been, he has one of the most 
uh, dominant uh, performances out of any quarterback in the country since the, you know coming off that bye week, and their offense is just rolling and uh, running the ball, and no one can really seem to stop them. So it's going to be a really good game, and I think it's going to be important for when you do your scouting just to kind of realize that this Alabama team, uh, second half of the season, is not the same Alabama team that we saw in the first half of the season, and they have a lot of momentum right now. Me and Will actually talked about it. You know, he actually thought this you know, this month, you know, three week month span that you guys have to prepare for Alabama actually uh, benefits Michigan more. And I actually disagreed. I actually thought it benefits Alabama more, unfortunately for you guys, just given Nick Saban, his record against top ranked teams and just how well Alabama has been playing as of late. Yeah. This is an Alabama team that a lot of people are calling it Nick Saban's best coaching job Mm because on the surface, there's not necessarily, especially offensively, anyone that you like look at and you go wow that's a top 10 pick in the draft at receiver or at quarterback or that's a first round running back because those guys aren't really jumping out at you but they're very very talented Jalen Milrow has gotten better each week and we saw it against Georgia I mean he put on a masterful masterful performance defensively obviously loaded with with high-end draft talent especially in the secondary so <laughs> I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see how this plays out. Alabama, across the board, more talented than Michigan, sure. But Michigan, I think you could argue, is a team with more experience and is a team that has been in these circumstances more. Jalen Milrose never played in a college football playoff game. J.J. McCarthy's played in two. So I think – that experience benefits Michigan, weirdly enough, to say in a Michigan versus Alabama game that Michigan's the more experienced team. But that raw talent of Alabama is going to be the question. Can Michigan find ways to scheme stuff up to get their guys in the right position and prevent the athletes that Alabama has from just running wild? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, like I said, Milrow again. Uh Nine games since coming back from that South, you know, that South Florida game, he's completed 68% of his passes, has thrown for over 2,000 yards uh, and 16 touchdowns with only four interceptions. So he's definitely coming into this game hot. And you mentioned Texas, Texas's run defense, but Alabama has a pretty good run defense too, especially the second half of the season. It's got even better. Uh, Alabama has only allowed their opponents to run the ball for just over 1,500 yards on the season. And that's only 11 rushing touchdowns as well. It only comes out to be about like 128 yards on the ground per game. It's one of the most elite in the in the league. But people also said Michigan wasn't going to be able to run the ball against Penn State, and they did that. So I think they they will make the adjustments like you said, and uh, Hardball will have these guys ready to play against. I think will be your toughest opponent of the playoffs so far. But like you said, it's still not the national championship, unfortunately. Yeah, I I think that at this point, there's no excuses for Michigan. Mm -hmm. You've done, this is your third time in this rodeo. Last year was supposed to be your kind of, your, your ticket straight to the national championship game. You draw TCU, a team you're more talented than, and you drop the ball. JJ McCarthy threw two pick sixes. Everything that could go wrong went wrong in that game for Michigan. And they still hung around, but it just ultimately, it was too much in the end. But when you, Fumble the ball on the one-yard line, two pick sixes. That's really hard to overcome. Obviously, the Georgia game, and you see those pictures of J.J. McCarthy and other Michigan players standing watching the confetti fall for the other team. That's all cool to have as a picture and to motivate you all year, but you're back in that spot now. It's time to execute. Having three of those pictures doesn't mean anything. It's you, you want the picture of you being the one holding the trophy with the, your color confetti falling. So uh, I, I think the team's going to be where they need to be. But at, at this point, my expectations for the team coming into the year were you've got to not only get to this point, beating Ohio State, that's all. that was all the expectation. Now you need to, to get over that hump. Yeah, and uh, again, like I said, Alabama will face their toughest defense they faced all year. Michigan, the only team in the country that has averaged ha- – that has – had their opponents score an average of less than 10 points per game. Only team in the country that have accomplished that feat. Of course, and, schedule was just the way it was, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, to touch on that, I mean, I've been able to 
to travel and watch this team uh, throughout the year. And I haven't been at every game, but I've been at most of them. And they're they're a dominant team. Mm-hmm. I I can't emphasize that in, enough in the sense of when they play even inferior opponents, like a Nebraska, they're just suffocating. Ne- Nebraska couldn't move the ball. They're, the defense, the front for Michigan, the interior defensive line for Michigan is the best in the country. They are five deep at that spot. You look at Chris Jenkins, who's an NFL guy, Mason Graham and Kenneth Grant, who are only sophomores, are I think are both better than him. They don't get the national attention that Jenkins does, but I think Grant and Graham are both better than Jenkins. And then you go keep going down to Rayshon Benny and uh, Cam Good. This is a Michigan defensive front, especially on the interior, that is so deep. They don't have the truly elite pass rusher on the edge um, that a lot of Jim Harbaugh teams have had in the past. But I'm telling you, look out for this interior defensive line of Michigan, as particularly the sophomores, Kenneth Grant yeah. and Mason Graham. You look back on film, Grant down the stretch this season has been an absolute game wrecker. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the pass rushing, though, of Michigan and how crucial that's going to be. I mean, you look at Alabama tape, look at them early in the year. Milro running a marathon pretty much every game it seemed like and it really helped uh, slow down Alabama and it was one of the reasons I think um, Alabama lost to Texas early in the years because they just couldn't really stop that pass run and like I said Milro just was on the run the entire game and I think that's going to be a recipe for success for Michigan one of the things they can do is really try to limit uh, Milro get him uncomfortable and uh, don't allow him a lot of time in the pocket to make those decisions and big time plays yeah and to that point I think the key to the game is going to be the turnover battle. I think whatever team, and I know it's an easy thing to say, whatever, but I, I think whatever quarterback makes more mistakes, that team's going to lose because both of these teams are so unbelievably talented Mm -hmm. from top to bottom. So well-oiled machines, whoever makes more mistakes, more turnovers in general, maybe it's not a quarterback, maybe it's a receiver or running back that puts the ball on the ground, but, Whatever team wins the turnover battle, I think wins the game because both of these teams just don't make mistakes. Yeah, no, and it's well the margin of error, like you said, so so small. So it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be massive. You can take care of the ball more. Both both uh, have taken the ball. They're taking care of the ball though. Not even just the quarterbacks, but the teams themselves are obviously very good at keeping uh, care of the ball, and that's obviously one of the reasons so so successful and have the record that they do. I do want to ask you this, though. This is kind of the, could be the last question, Kellen. I, you know, this has been really fun. I appreciate your time coming on. It's been fun this past week working with you guys too. Um, what do you think? And I ask everyone this. So I had I had Katie Winham on from. Uh, she covers Alabama for S, uh, Sports Illustrated. She cover, covers Alabama, and I asked her this same question too. Uh, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Being in top, you know, at least consistently over the last how many years, a top ten team consistently, if not even better. What are your thoughts on expanding the playoffs to 12 teams? Because the way I look at it is if I was a team like Michigan or Alabama, I would be kind of salty and upset that they're expanding the teams or to tw- yeah, they're expanding the playoff to 12 teams because it takes away the value of wins and losses. And for a team like Michigan that consistently does come out and win games and have undefeated seasons like they just did this year, what does it make you feel about expanding the 12 teams? Does it make it kind of unfair? Does it take away um the hard work and uh you know the win losses that michigan does accumulate and uh what's your just overall thoughts again being a fan of a team and covering a team that is on one of those dominant teams in the country that has potential to make the playoffs every single year even being a four-team playoff yeah so i guess i'll give you maybe a little bit more than you want here but my graduating class at michigan obviously we there was no fans in games for my freshman season because I'm a senior. My graduating class has never seen Michigan lose at home. My graduating class has seen Michigan lose one Big Ten game. My graduating class has never not seen Michigan win the Big Ten when there are fans, like all this when there's fans in the stands. They're going to go, there's a whole graduating class that's never going to see Michigan lose at home. Now, growing up a Michigan fan, obviously they were they were good for most of my life, but 
like that's that's unbelievable levels of success that's unheard of stuff that's i I try to tell people appreciate this this is not normal this is not normal stuff that this football team is doing and rushing the field my sophomore year against ohio state one of the coolest things i've ever been a part of then getting to be in the booth a couple weeks ago and calling that win over ohio state one of the coolest things i've ever gotten to do that game doesn't and i don't want to say it doesn't matter anymore but it almost doesn't the stakes will never be as high that game was so intense because the winner not only won the conference, but got to go to the playoff. That's not going to be the case anymore. There's going to be years now where Michigan and Ohio State can play three times in a season. You can lose the first two meetings, win the third, and win the national championship. Yep. Yep. That's crazy. Yep. And so I, I think 12 was too much. I was always a fan of the – six or 18 playoff um, where the top five conference champions or four or however you want to do it, all were guaranteed a bid. And then you had just a couple of at-large bids. It's awesome. I think you're going to get a lot of cool games with the at-campus site playoff games. But I, I do think it sucks from the perspective of the games don't matter as much anymore. Michigan can lose a game to Illinois, let's say, like they did last year. They can lose that game at home and don't need, and it doesn't really matter because as long as you still, you can lose two of those games, but as long as you win 10, you're pretty much guaranteed a spot. They're going to allow this, the the format's going to allow three lost teams a chance to make it, which is crazy. Something we've never really ever seen before in the structure, of course. In, in college football, I don't like that. I think yeah. you need – I like that there's so much emphasis on the regular season. And, I mean, yeah, it'll be cool to see a team that maybe gets hot late, but it's probably going to be like an Alabama or somebody that's super talented or an LSU, some SEC school that struggled in the regular season and then they get hot at the right time and win games. And that's cool, mm-hmm. but I would much rather see teams that grinded all regular season, made – crazy things happen to win games in the regular season get a chance to win one or two more games Mm -hmm. and in the end it's probably gonna be the same teams winning all the titles i don't think really much is gonna change but i i do think it sucks that um that the regular season is not gonna matter as much because i think that's what makes college football fun is that all those games really do matter yeah, and if I if I'm not mistaken, I think the top four teams still do get a buy, right? In the in the twelve. I I believe so. So again, like that stuff's gonna matter. Beating Ohio State's gonna matter for Michigan. All that has meet some meaning still, but mm-hmm. it's not the same. It's not the yeah, our season's essentially over. I mean, Ohio State's in what the the Cotton Bowl. It's still New yeah. Year's Six Bowl for sure. But ask anyone that goes to school there or is it from Columbus that they're not happy with that. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. I, I think I think that's I guess the downside of it is that those stakes just won't be as high. Well, yeah, and like, and I and I always and I always like to ask people that cover and, and follow teams that are so dominant, like yourself, like Michigan, because for me, you know, I think I would think it's unfair because you have a Michigan team that does consistently dominate, does consistently uh, bust its hump to you know win these games, come out you know dominant, put in the work off season, you know you know, get, get the infrastructure they need, the funding that they need to be a dominant team. And now you're going to allow these teams that aren't as dominant a chance to basically come in and have a puncher's chance against some of the top teams in the country when, you know, they might have two or three losses and they might not be as deserving as a top team like an Alabama or Michigan. It's just kind of cool. an interesting thing, you know. And the thing that I think gets weird now is, let's say Michigan's, 11 and one or undefeated going in 11 and one, let's say going into or, or 10, 10 and one going into their last game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's some scenario where they know they won't get one of the buys. Why would you risk playing any of your starters against Ohio state? Why would you, yeah. why would you do that? I mean, I know they, that's not going to happen because of the rivalry, but in terms of the playoff, there's no incentive to do that. If you know, you're not going to get one of the buys why would you risk putting stuff on tape and players getting injured at that yeah. point? I mean, we've seen what the committee will do if, if you're one of your star players goes down. For sure. Yeah. That's a good point. FSU. And 
yeah, this year, uh, Travis going down, and that's was obviously the reason they were probably. That is the. I mean, that you would. That's the reason they were taken off. Of course, it would have still been hard, even if he was healthy. It would have been hard uh, because you know just someone had to be taken out. Of course, with Alabama coming in and Texas coming in as well, someone had to be taken out. But yeah, that's a good point. It might lead to some wonky scenarios at the end of the season. So, I right, man, this has been fun. Yeah, I. I love talking with you, man, talking some uh, football with you, Michigan football particularly, and then I'm really excited about this uh, New Year's coming up and the games that we have going on, and I'm rooting for Michigan. I really am because I think, uh, yeah, I think they, this is their year to do it. I think it all, all stakes point to now that it's time to get it done, and I think they will get it done, and I'm, I'm rooting for them. Yeah, Jared, appreciate you you having me on. Um, it was great, great talking some ball, getting yeah. getting an outside perspective on kind of the the pulse on Michigan outside of Ann Arbor. So really, really appreciate you having me. All right, man. I'll be in touch, all right? All right, let's finish up the show with maker and faker of the week. Justin, start us off. What is your maker of the week? My maker of the week is Taiwan Wallace. It is a big accomplishment to have a game-winning walk-off punt return as he did for the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday in their overtime win over the Rams, 37-31. Big win for the Ravens as they solidify the number one seed, but Tyron Tyron, uh, Wallace is my maker of the week. I'm going to go Shohei Otane, not so much because of his uh, deal that he got, not not the $700 million, but the fact that he's... um, deferring that money to the end of his contract going to open up a lot of space for the Dodgers payroll, get some free agents, get some much needed pitching. And, you know, him sacrificing that is going to help the team succeed overall. And, um, you know, it's, he's going to get that money back from endorsements. He's going to, he's going to get that money back from sponsorship. So he's definitely going to be fine. He's not going to be hurting by any means. And uh, like I said, it's going to help the Dodgers front office and ownership clear up some money so they can bring in these much needed pitchers and, other rotational players in the bullpen that can help them, you know, go far next year. And it's going to be great for the Dodgers. So yeah, that's my maker of the week. Shohei Otane being a team player uh, for other reasons as well. Uh, Zach, what is your maker of the week? My maker of the week is Tommy DeVito. Look, he's the perfect New York Italian. He's got the, the Tommy's cutlets. He's living at home with his mom and, you know, his mom's making his dinners and make, making his bed and everything for him. So all his mind is focused on his football. And so far, so good. He's won his last three. Giants started the year two and eight, one of the most unwatchable teams in the NFL. Now all of a sudden, they're one of the most intriguing teams in the NFL. They're only a game back of the wild card spot, the last wild card spot. And it's not impossible for them. I know they play the Eagles twice, but one of those games is week 18. We don't know what the Eagles will be playing for at that time. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. But if nothing else, he's rejuvenated football in New York, which has not been very good this year. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, Giants would love the Eagles to, you know, get some, you know, two, three wins here over the next couple of weeks so they can, you know, they they hang it in at the end of the game. You know, they, they lock down the number one seed and can kind of hang it up at the end of the year. So because Gi- Giants might very well need that win at the, you know, the last game of the season. So that's a good point. Zach, uh, Justin, what is your faker of the week? My faker of the week, being an Eagle fan, I'm going to say the Eagles. Tough loss on Sunday night and a blowout loss. Last two games have been blowouts for this team, and they got to get it together. They got to get it together 100% with Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni and this offense. The talent is not there on the defense, I don't believe. I think the pass rush is cooked this season. I mean, they're just completely asked to do too much, while the linebackers and safeties are nowhere to be found. Same with the corners on defense. But with the Eagles, they got to fix things. They got to fix it and get it together. Uh, luckily, they have the Giants twice, which is no pushover. Seattle, no pushover, and the Cardinals. But they got to fix things for the next four games, and they they still could win. They still can get the one seed in the division. But this week, they're my faker. The last two weeks, especially with the way they've been performing against two top contenders in the NFC. Yeah. I'm going to go with Bill Belichick. Um, Patriot way was definitely Tom Brady, not Bill Belichick. I think it's pretty clear this this uh, this season really uh, really showcased that. Uh, Belichick, I think he's credited a lot a lot of the times for you know putting you know having players like Chris Hogan, uh, Julian Edelman, Daniel Mandela, uh, turning them into top level wide receiver talent. But I don't think Belichick did that. I think Brady did. Uh, let's forget we don't we 
can't forget that Brady was on the team with those players. And I think he was the reason why those running backs had the success they did. I mean, you look at uh, Scotty Miller uh, on Tampa Bay when uh, Brady was in Tampa, Tampa Bay. He made Scotty Miller look like the second coming of Tyreek Hill. And, you know, where's Scotty Miller now? So I think uh, Brady was definitely the reason for the Patriot way, not Bill Belichick. And I, I do think it's uh, pretty clear this season has really – uh, put that on the spotlight, and I, it's pretty hard to deny that real fast Or at this point. Uh, where will Bill Belichick be next year? Who knows? I don't know if he's going to stay at the Patriots or if he's going to move on, but uh, I think his time with the Patriots is coming to an end because, uh, yeah, he clearly needed Tom Brady, and uh, he's still a great coach, don't get me wrong, but the success that they had uh, was definitely a two-way partnership, and a lot of it, a lot of it was on the shoulders of Tom Brady. And, well, uh, reports are saying they're already moving on from him after the the Germany game. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, huh. not not now, but they're pretty. But I don't think he's going to be back in New England next year. Reports are coming out. Hmm. Weird. Yeah, I I don't think he would. Do you, where do you think he'll go? I mean, where do you? I mean, I, maybe Commanders might be a spot, but maybe the Chargers, maybe yeah. even the Raiders. Yeah, it's so many. There's going to be so many openings. It's it's insane. Zach, what is your faker of the week? Yeah, my faker is Kadarius Toney. He's lost two games at least for the Chiefs this year, the opening game against the Lions, and then we just saw on Sunday, yes, he was offsides. Patrick Mahomes will complain all he wants, but the fact of the matter is Kadarius Toney was offsides, and that's just inexplicable for a wide receiver. You have to know where you're lined up. They give you so many opportunities to check with the the referee to make sure that you're lined up correctly. I can tell you that because I played wide receiver back in the day. You always go to the ref, do the thumbs up. They'll even tell you to back up if need be. And he did not do that. And the video showed that he did not do that. And now, second time this year that Kadarius Toney and his drops or his mistakes have cost the Chiefs a football game. And I know he had the great punt return last year and it helped them win the Super Bowl, but he's been more of a net negative for this team than a net positive for them. And you just that that's a spot you cannot have that penalty called and you're just flat out unacceptable there. And Kadarius Tony is the guy that Patrick Mahomes' ire should be toward, not the referees. <laughs> All right, guys. Good show. Be back on Saturday. Uh, break uh, Preview NFL coming up and then anything else that is going to happen before then. Uh, well, since then, I mean. But until then, we'll see you then and keep on traveling. Mm-hmm.